you may or may not be familiar with the Chinese Zodiac, and that assigns one of 12 different creatures to every single year. Some years are the year of the horse, some are the year of the rat, some are the year of the snake. We are about to start the year of the dragon. And it's actually this week. It is February 10th of 2024. That kicks it off. And it's going to last until January 28th of 2025. And the end times also talk about a year of the dragon. Not just one year, but seven years. And that's what this episode is going to tell you about. This episode is going to cap off my multi-episode deep dive into Satan. Who he is, where he comes from, what he does, and today where he's going. The devil is going to lose, and he's going to get everything that he deserves. But it's going to get worse before it gets better. The earth will endure seven years of the dragon, and Revelation lays it all out. So today we're going to talk about what the book of Revelation teaches us about the devil's end. And if you listen till the end, I'll share a story about when I confronted a demon with these verses. All of that's going to happen today on the Cross References Podcast. Welcome to the Cross References Podcast, where you learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how they all connect to the cross and Christ. Whether you're a new Christian or a veteran Bible reader, my goal is that God's word will make more sense to you after every episode. My name is Luke Taylor, and I was born in the year of the horse. (laughs) Nobody cares about that, but I just thought I'd I'd throw that in there. So (laughs) the book of Revelation is about the end times, and that is appropriate because it's the last book in the Bible. Uh, Lots of prior books in the Bible will teach us things about the last days, things about the Antichrist, things about the millennial kingdom, but Revelation is that book that kind of just puts it all together. And so the last days of planet Earth, they are described in Revelation 6 through 19. That is a seven-year period that is talked about during that, and it's marked by a lot of turmoil on planet Earth. Some of it is supernatural. Some of it is, is due to human wickedness. And God basically allows the devil to take control of planet Earth and he gets to install his own ruler on the planet. And like I said, that goes for, that goes on for a seven-year period. Um, it's kind of an evil mockery of the Trinity, where Satan's kind of playing the role of God the Father. The Antichrist is playing the role of God the Son. And there's this other guy, he's called the False Prophet, and he's doing his best impression of the Holy Spirit. And so it's this evil satanic trinity that is getting to run the show for that period of time. Um I'm going to focus more so on just the devil for today's lesson, because this is part of the series that is on Satan. And as powerful as the Antichrist might appear to be, he is really only Satan's puppet during those last days. So turn with me to Revelation 12, if you'd like, and we're going to look at what he is up to during this time. Revelation 12 starts with, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. Now, there's there's a lot of discussion if you look out there about who this woman is. Many believe her to be Mary, and that is kind of semi-logical or something that you might um, 
That, I could understand why people assume that. In a few moment, moments, she's going to give birth to the Son of God. It would seem obvious that this would be Mary. This woman is actually not Mary. It's not Mary specifically, okay? It includes her, but this woman is actually symbolic of the entire nation of Israel, like as a whole. And you can actually prove this. If you go back to the first book of the Bible, there's a similar dream with a similar situation here, and it interprets for us who this woman is. If we go all the way back to Joseph and his coat of many colors, you're going to find that he was having these strange dreams about the future. And so this is your first cross-reference for today. It's back when Joseph had a dream. Revelation, or sorry, Genesis 37, starting at verse 9, it said, Then he, which is Joseph, had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? So Jacob kind of helps us out right there. He, the, the meaning is obvious to them, and he helps us to understand it, of what this dream was saying. Uh, that the sun and the moon and the 12 stars that referred to Jacob and his wife and his uh, he had a dozen sons, as you remember. Um, it's referring, and that, that's the 11 brothers. It was 11 stars in Jacob's dream. But here in Revelation, you know, of course, Jacob was the 12th star. So all the 12 stars together, collectively, these make up the 12 tribes of Israel. And so that helps us to understand this vision that's happening here in Revelation 12. The woman is clothed with the sun and the moon and the 12 stars. It's not Mary specifically. It's talking about the nation of Israel as a whole. And so that's that helps us to understand what's going on here in Revelation 12. People, you know, we, we hear a lot about how Revelation is so hard to understand. It's so symbolic. You, you, how can we know what these things mean? You let scripture interpret scripture, and that helps us out. Revelation or Genesis 37 helps us to understand Revelation 12. Okay, I'm going to stick in Revelation for a while now. So Revelation 12, verse 3. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads, seven diadems. So the dragon right here is Satan. This is kind of obvious, um, especially compared to the woman. And it's very fitting symbolism, because Satan, when the first time he appeared in the Bible, he was a serpent. And, and that's kind of a reptilian creature, right? Dragons are reptilian in appearance. They have snake-like faces, or lizard-like faces at least, so... Right there, we see what it means that a dragon is here. This is talking about the devil. It's also said, it's said here he's red. Earlier in Revelation, we saw a red horse, and that horse was bringing war upon the earth. And so Jesus, he's the prince of peace. Of course, the devil is bringing war. He's the color for war. I think that's what the red is referring to here. It said seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns. I won't get into what all that means today, but that is talking about the government of the Antichrist that's going on during these end times. The ten horns are referring to ten world leaders. They're going to help the Antichrist's rule, and they'll probably be set in charge over ten regions of the earth. If you need a cross-reference for that, Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 through 8. For the sake of time, I'm not going to get into that today. Revelation 13 talks a lot about that much deeper, but that's where you can kind of make sense of like the seven heads, the ten horns. The seven heads is, I think that's talking about the nations that make up the Antichrist empire. It's got elements of Assyria and Egypt and Babylon and Rome and Persia and Greece, perhaps more. But that's that's where all that is, is getting. So Revelation 13, if we do a study on that sometime, we'll explain all of that. 
Verse 4. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. So this is talking about the angelic rebellion against God. And I've been going into this a little bit more on my other podcast, Weird Stuff in the Bible. There's a plug for that one. <laughs> I get one in on every episode, it seems like. But if you want to know more, go to that, that episode. I did one called Who Are the Sons of God? And that kind of gets into it. So God created a lot of spiritual beings. It's not, you know, the New Testament just kind of generically calls them angels. And the reason for that is that the, the Greek, which is what New Testament's written in, it is not as specific as the Hebrew. But if you go through the Old Testament, there's regular angels, there's the cherubim, there's the seraphim, there's all kinds. And so the, the Hebrew is a little bit more particular, and Greek just kind of calls them all angels. So anyway, and also Greek and, and Hebrew will refer to them a lot as stars. That's what they're being called here. Uh, but that's just a kind of a symbolic word. His tail swept a third of the stars down. One third of the spiritual beings, the angelic beings, if you want to call them that, they rebelled against God. Satan was the first. He was the first rebel. Over time, one-third of all the spiritual beings also turned on God. Uh, the, and th that didn't all happen all at once. I know it sounds kind of like that because it says his tail swept a third down. This is condensing a lot of time right here. There's like a lot of stuff being condensed. So there were multiple angelic rebellions, such as Genesis 6 and, and, so, and, and going forward in the Bible. Um, anyway. This, this Revelation 12 vision, a lot of this is being condensed down. Continuing with verse 4. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that she, when she bore her child, he might devour it. The child, of course, is Jesus. The woman who was pregnant is Israel. And so, again, I understand why a lot of people think she's Mary. Um, but again, I, as I explained, this is really going into, it's talking about Israel as a whole right here, the Jewish people. and the child. Jesus came to earth through the Jewish people. The devil did not want Jesus to be born. He probably thought that it meant his time was going to be up. And so since God had made himself vulnerable by entering this world in a fragile human body, the devil was trying to kill Jesus, and he started right there at his birth. If you remember, Satan impressed upon King Herod that the Christ child was a threat to him. And so Herod had all the baby boys in Bethlehem killed. Your cross-reference for that is Matthew 2.16. Revelation 12 shows us that Satan was behind that idea. That's why the dragon stood before the woman to devour her child. Verse 5, she gave birth to the male child, who was one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And so again, clearly, Jesus, this is talking about Jesus, who is the child, and he's going to rule all nations. But that did not happen whenever he arrived on the scene the first time. It said something else happened. He was caught up to God. Um, I learned in my studies last year, it actually says in the Greek, he was raptured. He was When it said he's caught up to God in his throne, he was raptured up to God in his throne. That's talking about the ascension of Jesus. It's to go to heaven without dying. And so Revelation 12, 5 brings us from, basically, Revelation 12 has got started at the beginning of the Bible, and it brings us all the way up to 2,000 years ago when Jesus ascended, all right? But then at verse 5, one of those significant gaps in Bible prophecy happens. Like I said, Revelation 12 is very condensed, and so there's a lot of stuff going on, long spans of time that it's talking about here. And right from here, we jump forward thousands of years, okay? We jump forward to the end times. 
So that's, well, that's what happens is we transition from verse five right here to verse six. We're going to jump ahead thousands of years to the end times, that, that seven-year tribulation I was talking about. Verse six, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. So this is the seven-year tribulation. Actually, this is the last half, the last three and a half years of that seven-year tribulation. That is 1,260 days. There is a big shakeup that happens halfway through the tribulation. In the first half, the Jewish people think that the Antichrist is like a great friend to them, that he's practically a messianic hero. But something's going to happen at the midpoint of the tribulation, and he does something that is known as the abomination of desolation. This is the thing where Jesus said, whenever you see this, flee to the mountains. Okay, there, there, it's going to be an act of desecration of the Jewish temple. And it's, it's meant to also signify, I am not your friend. The Antichrist is going to enter the Jewish temple. He's going to demand to be worshipped as God. And the Jews are going to re- realize that the Antichrist, he is not their Messiah. They are going to scatter. They are going to flee. The Antichrist, of course, is being empowered by Satan. And this is really just Satan continuing to do what he's always done. He's trying to wipe out the Jewish people. Satan and the Antichrist, from that point on, they spend the rest of the tribulation, literally 1,260 days, the last three and a half years, they spend that time trying to stamp the Jewish people out. And he will almost do it. That's what's that, So that's what's going on down on planet Earth. He's trying to wipe out the Jewish people. That's like that's what's happening in the natural realm, okay? He's working through the Antichrist to do it, so it's just what you could see with your own two eyes if you're alive at that time. That's what you would be witnessing down here on the Earth. If you jump to the supernatural realm, there's something else going on. While the tribulation events, while they're, while they're unfolding down on Earth, a war breaks out in heaven. Revelation 12, verses 7 through 9. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil, and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So Satan gets evicted from heaven. And I know some of you hear that and you're like, well, that happens during the tribulation? Like, I thought Satan already got cast out of heaven. Well, here's what I, I understand. The way I understand it, here's what's going on. I think he was initially kicked out. But Satan, as you read the Bible carefully, you notice that he appears to be able to make return trips to heaven. For example, in Job chapters 1 and 2, Satan was able to interact with God and converse with God and, and kind of like join these meetings with the, the, the divine council and the sons of God, he's, he's able to kind of just make his way in there and have conversations with God. Uh, he has a role as the accuser of God's people. You know, I'd, I'm not sure what the point of that role is in the spiritual realm. Apparently, it's useful to God in some way. He allows it. And not only the devil, but also his angels. They're allowed access to heaven. Again, this gets into some weird territory. <laughs> That's what I like to explore on my other podcast. You know, biblically, when you read the Bible carefully and you go into some of those places that most people don't really pay attention to in the Bible, things that people usually just gloss over, 
but you find out that God has staff meetings up in heaven. And that there are even spirits who are in rebellion to God, and yet they're allowed to attend those meetings and help direct the affairs of earth. (laughs) So there's a lot of strange things going on in the supernatural realm that we just don't understand. And I, I guess all that changes, though, at the midpoint of the tribulation. At that point, heaven closes its doors to Satan. It closes its doors to Satan's angels. They are barred from heaven. And so they don't like that. They throw a fit about it. They, they throw a fit about the access to God that they have lost. Um, I'll, I'll mention it now. If you are like, Luke, where are you getting all this stuff? If you need more information on what I'm talking about, send me an email, crossreferencespodcast at gmail.com. If you're on a platform that does comments, you can leave a comment. I'll be glad to explain further. If you know, I could do a future episode answering questions about this. I could back it up with more scripture. I could do mailbags on it. Whatever you need. Like I'm I want to be here to help you guys. If you need more information on this, um, just let me know. Okay. If you're hearing it and you're like, oh yeah, I know about all this. Well, then we're gonna press forward. But if you need more information, I am happy to go into all this deeper. All right. Okay. I just don't want to get too far off track from today's lesson. Like this episode's already probably one of my longer ones. And so I don't want to drag it out further than necessary. So let's look at one more verse from here, from Revelation 12. Let's look at verse 13. It says, And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. So in retaliation for getting kicked out of heaven, for having the bars, the gates barred and that he can't get into it, Satan throws a hissy fit down on earth and he goes on a killing spree against the Jews. And so the last three and a half years of the tribulation, they involve a Holocaust that was even worse than the first one. Okay, Zechariah 13, 8. It says that two-thirds of the Jewish people will be killed by the Antichrist. Now, in Hitler's Holocaust, he killed one-third of the Jews. He killed six million out of—there were about 18 million on the earth. He killed one-third. In the Antichrist Holocaust, he's going to kill two-thirds. Why is Satan so intent on wiping out the Jews? I covered this back in episode 99. That episode was called Why Satan Hates Israel. And I explained in that episode, the only way that Satan can prevent the second coming of Christ is by wiping out all the Jewish people. And so Satan has become so intent on killing them. um, That's why he's been intent on killing them all throughout history. Jesus was prophesied to come through the Jewish people. Satan wanted to prevent the first coming of Christ. Okay, he was always waiting to devour that child. And then whenever he failed on that one, he knows that there's another prophecy. Jesus is not going to come again until the Jewish people repent and turn to the Messiah. Okay? That, it, once you understand that, it puts all these world events into context. You can go all through Jewish history up to today. Then it all makes sense. Egypt. They said, let's enslave the Jewish people. They're, they're not going to get to go to their homeland. Oh, no, there's too many of them. Let's start killing their babies so they can't get any bigger. That was a satanic plot. All these nations who came and tried to wipe out the Jews in, in their history in the Bible. You look at the Amalekites, the Edomites, the Philistines. You look at the book of Esther. Haman got that plot to wipe out all the Jews. You know, they weren't even hurting anyone. They weren't doing anything. Why did he want to kill the Jews? Everyone, everything was peaceful with them. It came from the devil. In between the Testaments, you read about Antiochus Epiphanes. He had an attempt to wipe out the Jews. He was like a, a Hitler of that time. You saw Herod trying to stop the Messiah from being born. He was trying to kill all the babies in Egypt. You look at the persecution of Jews throughout history. Look at 
I mentioned Hitler a second ago. Modern times, right? Okay, just in the past hundred years. Look at everything that happened with that. Everything with World War II. Look what happened in, on October 7th of 2023. You want to know what all those events have in common? Satan was behind all of them. Because if he can wipe out the Jews, he can prevent the second coming of Christ. And so when a war happens at the midpoint of the Great Tribulation, the clock really starts ticking for Satan. Now he knows, I've got 1,260 days left to make this happen. And that is when he gets very desperate. The way Jesus described it, he said, then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. This is what Jesus was talking about was the next Holocaust. Now, how close is Satan going to get to accomplishing that goal? Well, let's turn to Revelation 20. Let's look at that before we close down. So in Revelation 19, we see Jesus writing in. That is the second coming of Christ, okay? I'm going to start with Revelation 19 at the end of that chapter. That's talking about the Antichrist. He's called the beast right here. It says in verse 20, And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the, th- the, had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. That is some good news right there, okay? I know it's a little gross. (laughs) It's a little gory. But at least it's the bad guys who are getting gored. Uh, So that's what's going on in Revelation at the end of 19. The Antichrist and the false prophet, so two-thirds of that satanic trinity, they get tossed into the lake of fire. But what about Satan himself? How does Satan escape all this? Okay, so the next three verses, which kick off Revelation 20, they get to his fate. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. So during the millennial reign of Christ, Satan is bound in a bottomless pit for a thousand years. Now, you might think he got a pretty good deal (laughs) because, you know, if you were to compare, uh, you'd probably rather just get dropped in a hole and forgotten about than getting dropped into the lake of fire, right? (laughs) You know, you think at least the hole, it's a bottomless pit. I'm not going to hit the bottom. At least it's probably not going to be so hot. So you'd think he might have got a good deal, except this is not the first time that we've seen the bottomless pit in the book of Revelation. It was already opened up once before in Revelation chapter 9. This is during one of the judgments of that seven-year tribulation. There's going to be a five-month stretch of the tribulation where people are going to get tormented by these demonic flying scorpion creatures, okay? We don't have a name for them in English because they don't exist in our world. These are something from a bottomless pit that gets opened up in Revelation chapter 9, verses 2 and 3. It says, He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke 
like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then the smoke, then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. So these creatures are unleashed for five months. And it says that God doesn't even let people die during this time. Like they were just harassed by these things. They longed to die, but somehow, and I don't know how, don't ask me, somehow God prevents them from dying. Okay? Add this to the list of like reasons that you want to make sure you are right with God and that you go in the rapture because you don't want to be here when these things get released. And so this is what's waiting for Satan in that bottomless pit. He is tormented, not, not just for five months, he is tormented for a thousand years in there. Revelation 20 says the dragon is chained and sealed in there for that whole time for a thousand years. By the way, just on a side note, <laughs> you, you hear some Christian denominations teach nowadays that, you know, and I'm talking about ones who have different views of uh, the end times, okay? Some, some denominations are premillennial, like me. Some are called postmillennial. Some are called amillennial. And so there's some of them out there who think that we are in the, the millennial reign of Christ right now, that the thousand year reign of Christ, it's not a, literally a thousand years. It's more like an eternal reign of Christ in our hearts. Okay. Now there's some who believe that, that, that we're in that right this moment. Here's the biggest problem with thinking that we are in the millennium right now. According to revelation 20, Satan is chained up and locked away during the millennium. So if we are really in the millennium right now, <laughs> Satan must have a pretty long leash, okay? Because that, that theory of the end times, it really does not make sense with all that the New Testament tells us about, about the devil, you know, that he goes about as a roaring lion. That doesn't really matter if he's locked away whenever Peter wrote that, <laughs> okay? Where it says Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Well, why would Paul warn us about that if Satan has been locked away? So I just think that view doesn't make any sense. I'm premillennial, okay? I think Jesus will come back, that's Revelation 19, and then Satan will be locked away, that's Revelation 20, and it's going to happen in the order that Revelation says it's going to happen. Because Revelation, like I said before, it takes all these pieces we've been reading about in the Bible, and it puts them all out there in order. It gives us the sequence of events. So I think it goes 19 and then 20, <laughs> just chronological like how it does it right there. Okay. What's the first word of Revelation 20? It says, then. Okay. Jesus returned in Revelation 19. Then Satan is locked away in Revelation 20. To me, that's like clear as day. Okay. This happens and then this happens. So Jesus has not returned yet. So Satan has not been locked away yet. Now, I just don't really have time for these eschatologies that tell us Satan's locked away right now. That's why I've done this. I think we're at four episodes now on cross-references, and I've done like three or four episodes on weird stuff in the Bible talking about the devil, because I think he's something that's a threat to us that we need to be on guard against, okay? Not worried. We don't need to be fearful, but we need to have our guard up, because right now he is going about as a roaring lion and masquerading as an angel of light. So you need to be ready for him, be informed about how he works. And then today, of course, I'm wrapping it all up and I'm telling you about where he's going. So let me, I'm getting off track a little there. So let me get back into it. Okay, Satan has not been locked away yet. That is at least seven years away. 
hopefully only seven years away. I'm ready to go in the rapture, guys. So hopefully it's only seven years away. But that is at least seven years away before we don't have to worry about him anymore. Okay? Unless you come across this podcast during the tribulation. That's kind of awesome to think about. But um, anyway, <laughs> so Satan is locked away for a thousand years. You might be wondering why. Why doesn't God just throw him into the lake of fire? Why not just throw him in there with the, the false prophet and the Antichrist? Well, God is going to give Satan one more chance to overthrow him. Okay? <laughs> Which is it's kind of funny to even think about. I mean, are, 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 by this point, are we just humoring Satan? <laughs> you know, everything that he's tried to do for thousands of years to like mess up God's plans, it never works out. That's why I just, when, it, I, when I see these Muslim nations today and they, they talk about wiping out all the Jews, wiping Israel off the face of the map, <laughs> I'm like, guys, someone much more powerful than you has been trying that for thousands of years. If he can't do it, I don't know what you think you can do. <laughs> so, so Satan is released at the end of the millennial reign of Christ, and he is released to do one last rebellion. And at that point, Anybody who's been living in Christ's kingdom is allowed to make the choice. Do they want to continue with Jesus or do they want to rebel and join the dark side and, and go with Satan? So why is Satan a part of this? All right. I think that this tells us it's the same reason of, for why God allows Satan to roam the earth today. Satan is there to give mankind a choice. Every person has a choice. God doesn't make robots. He lets you make a choice. Satan is there to provide the choice. You can choose team God or you can choose Team Satan. You should probably choose Team God because Team Satan always loses. Revelation 20, verse 7. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and, and, and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. There's one last campaign from Satan. I don't know how long it takes. I don't know how big of a battle it is. But, you know, it's not much of a fight because it says fire comes out from heaven and consumes the entire army. God opens up the lake of fire. Antichrist is still there. False prophet is still there. It's been a thousand years. They've probably forgotten their own names by now, but they are still there. And Satan finally gets tossed into. And anyone who rejected God goes with him. His angels go with him. And the door is shut for all eternity. Hell is eternal, ladies and gentlemen. Make sure that you have your reservation ready for you in heaven because this is the devil's fate and you don't want to go where he's going. time on this podcast, we're going to return to the book of Ezekiel. And that is, uh, we actually never finished is chapter 28. If you remember, we were spending all January on it and we never did finish chapter 28. So next time we will wrap up chapter 28. Make sure that you're subscribed so you can get back there with us. Crossreferencespodcast at gmail.com if you need to get in touch with me. I think I mentioned that already, but there you go again. It's in the show notes. I had a mailbag on a recent episode that was one of the episodes about Satan. This came from Joe in North Carolina. He says, good podcast. 
Note that the English word snake isn't found in the King James Version, but another synonym of serpent is dragon. But did snakes even exist before God cursed the serpent? So um, I, I think I kind of have an answer for that. And I always appreciate Joe's positive comments. So thank you, Joe. I went ahead and responded on YouTube, I think. Here's what I said. I said, in my research, I learned that there is a Hebrew word for snake, which Genesis 3 did not use, as well as the Hebrew word nakash, and that's translated there as serpent. Serpent basically means the same thing as snake, but also has a lot more semantic meaning packed into it. And I have a theory that snakes had arms and legs before the fall. And I know that might sound a little silly (laughs) to some people, but there's something interesting I learned. Evolutionary scientists, they actually believe that snakes used to have arms and legs, and they I, they studied snake skeletons. I don't know if it was like modern ones. I think it was they were looking at modern ones, okay? And they like found these little nubs, very tiny, but they found these little nubs on the snake skeletons. And so they, they deduced that snakes at one time had arms and legs. Now, I, I don't personally believe in evolution, but I think those signs of arms and legs being there, maybe we just call them legs, <laughs> but anyway... <laughs> The, the signs of the legs being there, I think they are actually there because snakes must have had them before God cursed the serpent. Um, I'm referring to where it says in Genesis 3, God tells the serpent, you're going to crawl on your belly from here on out. So I, to me, I take that to mean they were, that he wasn't crawling on his belly before. I, I, but a, the, something just kind of interesting is that I was watching the, the movie The Good Dinosaur uh, several years ago, back when it first came out. So this is like, it's like 10 years... We had foster kids at the time, and we were watching this movie about, it's a Pixar movie about dinosaurs. And so um, there's a scene, it's set in prehistoric times, there's a scene where the snake comes out. It's very clearly a snake, but it also has arms and legs. So I looked it up, I'm like, why did they put legs on the snake? You know, And there was actually an answer from the Pixar animators out there. They had researched how, according to evolution, snakes had arms and legs at one point. And so to stay true to science, the animators made the snake, the ancient snake in the good dinosaur, they made him have legs. And so I just think it's so interesting that science, you will find that it will often say the same thing that the Bible says. And science says the same thing about snakes that the Bible tells us about snakes, that they once had arms and legs at one point. So, I'm, hey, guys, I'm sure that's just a coincidence, right? You know, as I said, I don't believe in evolution, but I believe in Genesis, and, and that's where God cursed the serpent, said you're going to crawl on your belly. So you can, you can make what you want out of that. I always find it interesting when, you know, scientists are like, you know, we, we think that at one time the earth might have been covered entirely by water. You know, they, they, they figured this stuff out. It's like, okay, congratulations, everybody. So, all right, as we close down, I just want to mention one more thing that I always think of whenever I read Revelation 20. One time, I was, um, I was actually working on a Sunday school class lesson for this chapter. So I think this would have been in 2015. Because I, I remember I took my Sunday school class through Revelation during that year. And so I was working at a staff pastor at a church and... A woman stopped by that day, and she asked if she could go in and pray in the sanctuary. This was just like on a Tuesday afternoon. And so we let her in. Um, I think the church secretary let her in. And then after a little while, the the church secretary brought her to me, 
And so I was just asking her, um, you know, if there's anything going on in her life, if there's anything she needed. And, you know, I'm thinking like, maybe I just need to share the gospel with her. And as I'm talking to this woman over, the, she's not super old. She's younger than me. She was like, she's somewhere in her twenties, probably. Um, as I was about to share the gospel with her, like it comes out in the conversation that she is demon possessed. And, um, this was not my first encounter with demon possessed people. I've, I've talked to them. I have heard completely inhuman voices coming out of them before. That did not happen with this woman. Like she was very lucid. She explained to me when she let a demon get into her, what, like why she did it. She didn't want any help with it. She didn't want the demon to go. Like I tried to pray over her. I tried to cast it out, but it, it did not want to go. Like she didn't want to let it go. So I'm like, I don't know if I can even do anything for someone like that. I'll pray to however long it takes to cast one out of someone who doesn't want it anymore. But if she doesn't want to lose it, like, I don't even know what you do then. So I, I tried to explain to her, you know, you'll, if you die this way, you'll go to hell. I said, you're not in relationship with God. She told me the demons had told her God is so forgiving. God is going to forgive her. God's going to forgive all the demons. God is even going to forgive Satan. That's what she told me. So, like I said, at that point, my Bible's sitting right there at Revelation 20. I was working on that lesson like that <laughs> whenever she came along. So I just picked it up right there. And I said, actually, this is what the Bible says about the fate of Satan. And so I just started reading those verses to her, the same ones we were studying just a little bit ago. I told her exactly what's going to happen to Satan someday. When I said that, when I read those words, she just jumped up. She jumped up off her seat like it was on fire or something like up until then. She had been very calm all through this conversation. She'd been talkative, but, but she was calm. She's like totally unfazed by everything I had said to her. And like, I was, I was honestly starting to wonder, is, is she actually demon possessed or is she just delusional? Like she's, you know, not acting like a demon possessed person usually would. As soon as I started reading those verses about the fate of the devil in Revelation, she freaked out. Like she jumped up off her seat like it was on fire. She grabbed her ears and she screamed at the top of her voice. She says, stop saying that. It's like something totally different came over her when I read those verses. Now, based on her reaction to the verses, like that pretty well convinced me she did have a demon inside of her. Like it was just so extreme. And just to hearing some Bible verses, you go up to someone, read some Bible verses. They don't usually have a reaction like that. Okay. But I, I think that just goes to show how powerful the word of God is to the spiritual realm. You know, like I said in a previous episode, um, my last episode was uh, how to fight the devil and win, or I called it the, the devil in the full court press. And I think that was maybe the most important episode I've ever recorded. If you have not heard that episode yet, please go back and listen. In the previous episode of the Cross References podcast, I talked about how the word of God is our sword of the spirit. And the spiritual realm knows that, guys. They know that it is indestructible. I have seen firsthand how a demon reacts when you read them their fate that is described right there. So be careful out there. Be careful who you align yourself with. If you are on Satan's team, his destiny is called the lake of fire. And it's not just him. It's for his angels, for his demons, for every person who chooses to follow him instead of God. That is where they are going. It's not a fairy tale, even though it does have a dragon. 
Okay. And that might, that might be something the fairy tales get right. Watch out because there is a dragon out there, but there's something else the fairy tales get right. Dragons can be slain. And God's word, our sword of the spirit, it tells us that he will be. Now, the bad news is that's at least a thousand and seven years away. But I'm really, really hopeful that it's only a thousand and seven years away. Perhaps the year of the dragon will be the first of the dragon's seven years. And if it is, I hope you're ready for it. Grab your sword. Let's go to battle. And by the way, if it's not this year, <laughs> next year doesn't look much better. 2025 is the year of the serpent. It might mean something, it might not, but I'd say have your sword ready. Thanks for listening to the Cross References podcast. This has been Luke Taylor, and I hope the Bible makes more sense to you after this episode.